But I want to read beginning again in verse 11. And I'm going to read only down through verse 14. And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love." Christ has bestowed upon His body, that is the church, wonderful gifts. He didn't have to do this, did He? But He gave these gifts of certain men to the church. Apostles, prophets are no longer existing gifts to us, but we do have the gift they left for us, and that is our Bible, our New Testament. And that New Testament, the Scriptures, is our guiding light. As a New Testament congregation, as New Testament believers, it is our guiding light in all of our faith and practice. But God has given certain men as gifts that are still existing today. And in this passage, we look and see about evangelists and pastors and teachers. Those men deal with non-revelatory issues. In other words, they teach and preach the preaching already that has been given once to the saints. And their aim is singular. A man who really understands, if he has the right philosophy of church ministry, that's how we would word it today. That's not a biblical term, but it's how we would word it today. If you had a proper church philosophy of church ministry, you would know that their aim is maturity. That is the aim. That is the sole aim in Christ, this maturity. And I mentioned this last week, but I want us to look at it. If we would turn to Colossians chapter 1, this parallel book in which Paul himself wrote around the same time that he wrote the epistle to the Ephesians. And in this epistle, he kind of sums up his passion and his aim at the end of Colossians chapter 1 when he says, verse 28, We proclaim Him, that is Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And it is for this purpose also I labor. And I am striving according to His power which mightily works in me. Notice Paul's aim. What is the content of his preaching? 
Christ. What is he doing there in the context of his preaching? He is admonishing and teaching. For what purpose? So that he can present every man what? Complete or mature in Christ. That is his aim. And he is doing this, note in verse 28 again of Colossians 1, he's doing this with every man. Did you see that? How many times does he say it's everyone? Well, he's admonishing every man. He's teaching every man. And the goal is the same for every what? For every man. And that is to present them to Christ mature or complete. What does that look like? Well, in this passage, if you go back up in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, you'll see Christ has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to what? Present. present. Did you see that when Paul says he wants to present every man complete in Christ? Verse 22, Christ, in order to present you before Him, holy, blameless, beyond what? In other words, folks, isn't this something? Paul's aim and Christ's aim is the same. Is Christ's aim for us to stand before Him in all maturity? And of course, when we stand before Him, all defilement's going to be gone. All hindrances are going to be gone. But that's Christ's aim, and now what's Paul's aim? The exact same thing. And folks, I want us to understand here, and again, I'm not minimizing evangelism, but in light of our culture, did you note in Colossians 1 verse 28 that his aim is not just winning people to Christ? Is Paul winning people to Christ? Yes. Yes. Does it stop there? No. No. He's not only winning them to Christ, but he's winning them to Christ with the view of presenting them complete. He's winning them with a view of being born again, growing up in all things in him, so that we might stand before him, as he would write in Ephesians, spotless and blameless. That's his aim. And folks, that should be our aim, should it not? Folks, if that's his aim, and that's Paul's aim, guess what an evangelist, pastor, teacher's aim should be? The exact same thing. And if that's their aim, what should your aim be? The exact same thing. What should a church's aim be? The exact same thing. If we don't make it that our aim, we're going to fall short of being presented to him complete or in maturity before him because that is what he's looking for and folks in the great commission jesus says the exact same thing he says that we are to be teaching the disciples of christ now hear the term to observe we're not just teaching knowledge we're teaching them to observe the knowledge 
teaching the disciples of Christ to observe all that Christ has commanded us. And did you note His promise? People who have that aim, Christ's presence is with them until the end of the age. You see that? Go, make disciples. What do we do with them? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What do we do with that? Does it stop there? No. Teaching them to observe all things, whatever Christ has commanded them. There's that aim. That's His passion. That's the Great Commission. And only a church, a believing body, can engage in that. And folks, we actually could summarize, as we turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, we actually could summarize what we know thus far in this statement. And it is a lengthy statement, so if you're one that likes to write down these lengthy statements, just get with me and I'll be more than happy to let you see my notes. But here, here's a little summary as I have summarized it. <clears throat> Christ has given gifts of men to prepare the saints unto the work of service to one another, that is the building up of the church, the body of Christ, by the word of His grace, until we all attain full maturity. That's what this passage is saying. And folks, isn't that what God's aim is? If that's Christ's aim, that would be His aim, wouldn't it? And isn't that what he says in Hebrews chapter 12? He says, you have forgotten the exhortation. Little children. Did you hear that phrase? Little children. Don't despise the child training of the Lord. And folks, you know, and we know, even though we're adults, (laughs) we know that children can get weary of the discipline that is required for them to become, I'm going I'm to quote my father, my earthly father, to become responsible adults in this life. Right? You can get weary of that. And folks, we are all children and we are all growing up, including Paul, even though he is considered mature, he still says, I'm striving for this. And we're all doing this together and admonishing one another to do this with the aim of the leadership of that church to do everything they can to communicate the word of His grace so that you can engraft that word to grow up in all things in Him. That is a blessing. And folks, when Paul says we proclaim Him admonishing every man and teaching every man, that involves two aspects. What would it mean if I would admonish you? Have you ever felt admonished from the pulpit? Well, we could word it simply this way. I am telling you what to avoid. That's what admonishment is. I'm warning you to avoid certain things. That's admonishing. What would it mean if I said to you, I am teaching 
every man. What would that involve? Well, it wouldn't be what to avoid, but it would be what to, what to do or what to learn. So what is Paul doing? He's telling people what to avoid and he's telling people what to, what to do. And folks, we should really be receptive to that. Now folks, there is a real danger here that is presented in Ephesians 4. And that is the danger of remaining childish. You'll note here that it says in verse 14 that these men are equipping the saints for the work of serving one another, for the building up of the body of Christ, and if that ministry goes on, the result of it is, verse 14, that we are no longer to be what? Children. Proper, systematic instruction... along with teaching them to observe, with you receiving the word in meekness, results in a church that is no longer childish. Can a church be childish? A church can be childish. And as I mentioned before, Many, many, many leaders within a broad, what I would say evangelical type of sphere, most of them, if not the overwhelming majority of them, say that the church in America is at best childish. Well, part of the blame lies in the pulpit. And part of the blame lies in the pew. Now, a church can be mature and still have some childishness in it. Why do I say that? Because there's folks, there should always be people coming into the church that are infants, right? Babes in Christ. They are children in that aspect that they need milk and not meat. And so what we try to do when we preach is we try to give meat. And as my wife would say, give us meat, pastor, but wash it down with some good milk. Right? There has to be milk and meat that is there. A child in Christ may not understand everything. Sometimes they'll come to me and say, I I really didn't understand that. And I'll ask them, did you understand anything from the message? And they'll say, oh yeah, act on that. Because there's other people who are relishing in what you didn't understand because they understand it. In the modern American church, In many cases, if a church strives for maturity, if that is really their passion, it ends up being to their shame that they're doing that. In other words, other churches and other people will talk bad about that church. It is a shame that we must bear because the aim is maturity and that is very clear in the Scripture. 
for a church to be striving for maturity. To be living not for self, but for the edification of one another. To have scripturally ordered services. To have scripturally mature music. In many cases, bring shame to that congregation. They are actually talked about. Sometimes behind their back, sometimes to their face. Today, the modern church in America, and I'm speaking in broad sweeping generalities, changes everything they do. Their music, their order of services, their observation of certain times to meet. They're changing all of their worship. And this is what they say, to appeal to the youth. In other words, who are they appealing to? Children. Children. And folks, children like childish things. And parents, you know this, right? Your children raised in your home, they like certain things that you said to them, no, no, no. What do they say? Why? And if they're old enough, maybe you explain it. If they're too young, you say, because I what? Tell me, parents. Because I I said so. Children like childish things. In fact, in general, children don't like maturity. And the churches that do change everything to appeal to the youth, when the mature or those who have maturity in certain areas come to them and raise some type of objection, their response, whether it's silence or whether it's vocalized, is, well, you can find another congregation because this is how we reach people. Well, you're not reaching the mature. You're only reaching who? At best, the children. And folks, we live in a childish nation. I think we can all agree, whether it's our former president or our present president, that they act childishly. They throw temper tantrums. They don't watch their speech. They're not concerned about the edification of our nation. They're only concerned about themselves and their agenda. And if you don't like it, well, you are, you are the scum of America. You, you're not even a citizen in this nation. And folks, that's one of the judgments Isaiah said in that day is he said, we have children reigning over us. Now, I don't know if that meant age or if that meant maturity or both. Folks, the blessing of God is to give us wise leaders, righteous people. And folks, we know what maturity looks like. We took a look at it and we won't turn there in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul speaks of having a certain attitude. A mature person has a certain attitude. He counts all things but 
laws for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He forgets those things that lie behind. He presses on to the high calling of God, that prize of that high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He speaks the truth in love. He says to the church, this is what Paul said, he said, follow me in this. He's not saying suffer like I do. He's not saying dress like I do. He's not saying go to the same geographical locations I'm doing. What is he saying? He's saying be in character like I am. Have the same attitude. And then he tells us, observe people who are like that. Should we follow Paul? Should we follow people who have the same attitude as Paul? Yes. God gives us that example. And folks, if you follow in Philippians 3, then he turns around and says, but there are people to avoid. There are people to avoid. A childish church, and therefore the members of that body, is full of disunity. You can't have unity in a childish church. Why? Because every child is only interested in who? Themselves. They are disunified. They are doctrinally tolerant. They are serving their own interest. They are catering to those who have the same felt needs as they do. And they are bearing no likeness to Christ. A childish church seeks for novelty. They're always looking for the next new thing. They're always trying to follow the winds and the waves of the culture in which it's going, but just keep a certain distance from that. Instead of looking in their Bible to see what this is and how they are to attain it. And folks, here is the paradox. Are you ready for the paradox? What was the most childish church in our New Testament? Corinth. How many times did Paul say they were puffed up? That's King James. Here's the paradox. A childish church or a childish believer has absolutely full confidence they're mature. Is that not in contrast to Paul? Paul does say, I'm mature, follow me, but then he says what? I haven't attained. A childish person says, I have what? I have attained. I like it right where I'm at. And folks, the modern statistics today bear this out in, the, in global Christianity. What do you think comprises the overwhelming majority of professing believers today? They are labeled by these terms. Roman Catholic. Charismatic. Pentecostal. Prosperity Gospel. Latter Rain. 
And all those labels and all those permutations and all those differences make up the largest percentage of people who classify themselves as Christians. Do you see any problem with any of that? And folks, the danger is is that a church can fall far short of any measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ when they come to love their own childishness. To say in your heart... I don't want to grow up should never be in the heart of a believer. Why do I say that? What's the aim of Christ? Maturity. What's the aim of God the Father? What do you think the aim of the Holy Spirit is? And folks, this is very, very important. When we see others who are more mature than we are, when we look at the Apostle Paul and look at his example, what we want to bubble up in our heart is, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Not, I'll never be like that. (laughs) I want to be like that. Now folks, this is very, very important in light of the American church, this next statement I'm about to make. Maturity is not gained by activity. Folks, can can a lost person pass out of track? Can a childish believer pass out of track? Can a mature? But folks, the passing out of tracks or the number of tracks that you pass out isn't the measure of maturity. We should be doing all this. But it's not the measure of maturity. The number of people that you lead to the Lord by having them repeat a prayer decades ago. You that are young here in our congregation haven't been exposed to this, but some of us have. There was a church, and a man was pastoring that church, and he labeled your maturity by how many people you wrote down came to Christ that week. So if you came in and you had 30 people who prayed the sinner's prayer, then you were more mature than someone who only had 15. Or God forbid, somebody had how many? Zero. Zero. And that mentality has spread forth even in our own circles in many cases. Folks, maturity is not gained by activity. Maturity is gained by being conformed to Christ in your inner man. In other words... Being must reign over doing. You've got to take it as your goal to be as Christ is. 
Now, when you do that, you will do activity, but your main goal isn't just activity. Your main goal is to be conformed into the image of Christ. Now, folks, does the New Testament help us understand what childishness looks like? And the answer to that is yes. I want to look at four passages and then we'll be done. I want you to turn back to that church that I told you was the most childish church. Some would say they were the most carnal church in our New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And here's what I'm wanting to do. I'm wanting us to evaluate ourselves. I'm wanting our church to evaluate ourselves. Look at what Paul says to that congregation. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshy, For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshy and are you not walking as mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Who then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. What are some things that we can pull out of here? Well, Paul says that there is a similarity between infants in Christ with men of the flesh. You see that in verse 1? I couldn't speak unto you as unto spiritual men. They were spiritual men, that is, they were born again. But he had to teach them as men of the flesh or as being an infant in Christ. Now that would have been just a backhanded slap to the Corinthians who thought they were mature. And then Paul says, I couldn't even give you meat. (laughs) So what would a childish person look like? Well, they would look like certain characteristics of men of the flesh. And folks, that makes sense, doesn't it? When a child is born physically, are they a child? Yes. Yes, are they alive? Yes, but they still have a lot of baggage. They've got to be taught and trained and raised up. This church thought that they were spiritually mature, but Paul only gave them milk. And Paul couldn't give them meat. Why? Because they were walking like men. Fleshy men, worldly people. What did that look like? Well, look down here at verse 3. Folks, what would you call a church full of jealousy? That would be childish, wouldn't it? Sometimes we would use the word carnal because that's how the world is. Jealousy of one another. Or it says in verse 3, strife among you. Everybody see that? 
Now, he's not saying immorality. If it's immorality, that person's to be disciplined. But can a believer be jealous? Yes. Can a believer cause strife? Yes. And when they do that, they are not acting in maturity regardless of what they say to you. They're acting in childishness. And folks, that wasn't the only thing going on here in this church. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians. But look here in 2 Corinthians at the end of that book, in chapter 12. <clears throat> and look at verse 20. Paul says, I'm afraid that perhaps when I come to you, I will find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. And he repeats the two things here that we've already mentioned. In that church there was strife, and in that church there was jealousy. But look at what else he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. Angry tempers. Would you call that childish? Some people call that maturity today. Disputes. You ever met a believer and they're always disagreeable? Disputes. Slanders and gossips. Talking about the brethren. Arrogance. Disturbances. These are evidences of people who are still in their immaturity. And folks, as we go back to 1 Corinthians and we look at this passage, what we do come to realize is that one of the evidences of being childish is, is that they were judgmental. They were taking two men and others, Apollos and Paul, and they were comparing them and judging and critiquing their teaching and preaching, not to see whether the content of it was scriptural or not, but they were judging their oratory and their mannerisms and their personality and who they liked and who they didn't like. And then when they found someone that they liked, they actually got like in a party spirit behind that guy and said, well, this servant, he is truly the servant of the Lord, even over Paul or other people. Does that go on in the broad church today? It does. We're like a bunch of children always looking for the superstar pastor or teacher. This is childishness. Folks, one of the characteristics of a child is that they are very quick to critique other people and very hesitant to critique who? Themselves. Themselves. In other words, in their relationship to people, they're not first thinking, is this the right way I should say this? Is this the right pattern in which I should communicate this? They don't go home at night and say, I wish I hadn't said that. (laughs) Why did I say that? If I'm ever in this situation again, I'm not going to say it that way. 
Folks, children aren't like that, are they? Parents, you know this. They just what? They just burst everything out. And this was a characteristic of a church at Corinth that was very childish. If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul will mention this again. In that great chapter, what we call the love chapter, he says in verse 11, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child, but when I became a man, I did away with childish things. What are some of the characteristics of a childish church or a childish believer? Well, how do they speak? They speak like a child. They speak like a child. How do they think? They think like a child. How do they reason or come to understand things? Like a what? Like a child. But folks, our aim, our aim is to do away with childish things. That's our aim. To speak like Christ. To think like Christ. To reason and understand like Christ. Don't you yearn for that? Folks, a mature church doesn't orchestrate their services and their music to be childish, to reach childish people. Why? They've done away with childish things. They put it away. Childish believers don't care about how they speak. Down south, they word it this way. Well, I'm just going to tell it like it is. Well, you can't just tell it like it is. Oh yeah, I can because I'm right. The Bible doesn't say that. They don't think God's thoughts after after Him. They don't reason like Him. I'll tell you how they first think. This is their default thought pattern. How does this affect me? That's their default pattern. Their default pattern isn't what's right or best for others. Their default pattern is not what's right or best for the church of Christ. They only think about who? Them. And their aims and their goals and what they want to do. And the whole church better orchestrate around that or I'll just go somewhere else or not at all. In Hebrews chapter 5, the passage that we read for our Scripture reading, the writer of Hebrews really goes after this congregation because they had lessened their pace to become mature. And the writer of Hebrews just says in verse 11, now concerning him, that is Melchizedek, we have much to say and it's hard to explain. Why is it hard to explain? Well, it's not because I couldn't teach it to you. 
It's not because the thing itself is so difficult. It's because you are dull of hearing. Children really are dull of hearing, aren't they? Folks, every parent knows that the younger the child is, the shorter the span of attention that you get from them. Am I right, parents? You take a two-year-old, their attention span might be, might be 15 seconds that you have to get something really across to them. Imagine if we took the nursery and brought them out here and said, let me teach you about Melchizedek. (laughs) How many of them do you think would walk out saying, what a wonderful truth. I could chew on that all day. No, I'll tell you what happens if you do that. They gag. They start choking. You've got to take them and beat them on the back to get it out of them, right? Folks, being dull of hearing, having to keep repeat the same instruction, Over, 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 over. And the instruction is nothing more than milk. You're just giving them the same thing, the same milky content over and over and over and over. Folks, what happens is, in their rejection, in their dull of hearing about that, they never learn to discern between good and evil. You see that? Look at verse 14, Hebrews 5. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice or exercise have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Folks, I'm going to say something to you that I hope is not a shock to you. But the Bible doesn't address every specific thing in detail that you and I will go through. You ever wish there was a book called Frank or Your Name? You ever talk to a believer and you're giving them all the scriptural truths, all the underpinning that you're using to come up to this, to avoid something? or to do something. And and you go through all this and they say, I don't see it that way. That's the way children are. Folks, a mature person would say, I don't think I understand it all, but what I do understand, I need to really give consideration to. And folks, parents, you know physical children just can't see why you do certain things. (laughs) I'll never forget one of my children. I forgot how old they were. They might have been 12. They wanted a voice to me why they didn't agree with a certain family decision that we were having. Imagine, you see what kind of struggles I had in my family, 12 years old or so. And so they come out and they lay it all out. And one of the reasons is, well, you don't don't have a Bible verse for this. And when they got through, I said, you know what? I agree. I don't have a Bible verse for this. 
this is what we're doing. <laughs> I may not have a specific Bible verse, but I have verses that are underpinning the decision. Everybody see that? And this is what I said to that young man. I said, when you become an adult and have your family, you can do it the way you see the Bible says to do it. Now, do you know what happened? (laughs) This is amazing. That same young man, after he had been married several years, said, Ah, I see why Dad did that. Everybody following me? But a childish person doesn't act that way. And the old cliche, my parents weren't as dumb as I thought they were. (laughs) I don't see why you do this. Yuck. I don't like the way you're imposing this in my life. Yuck. All that is childishness. And folks, let's go back to Ephesians and we'll close with this. A childish church, which no church should be. A childish church, 14, if that church isn't striving for maturity, if they're not being brought and being prepared and equipped for the work of serving one another for this great aim, verse 13, to a mature man, if that isn't going on, then you will find a people and a church, verse 14, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. In other words, folks, the church and its members are unstable. They're unstable. How can I say that? Well, that's what it means to be tossed here and there. Right? They're sea-tossed. And they're sea-tossed wherever the sea, what? Takes them. And that is greatly evidenced in the American church today when the world begins to say, well, you know, we think homosexuality is okay. We think women pastors are okay. We think all this is all okay. And then the church goes, whoa, maybe we need to think about this. Really? You got to think about whether God approves of homosexuality or not? Answer, no. But it's like, whoa, we got to think about that. Tossed to and fro. And when events and circumstances come into these people's lives because they're not mature, they become unstable and they become movable. Where do I see that? Carried about by every wind of doctrine. They start questioning the doctrines. They start questioning the worship because the world is always sea-tossed and the world is always carried about by the current fad of doctrine. 
but a church should not be. People chase doctrines if they think it will bring them prosperity. Well, if that's going to bring me more wealth, then that's got to be, that's what I'm going to believe. Now, you might have more wealth, but you can have more wealth under the unity of the faith. People chase doctrines if they think it's going to bring them relief from their problems. And folks, people are lying along the pathway who play the religious game. They're out to snare you. You see that? See that in verse 14? By the what of men? The trickery of men? And by what kind of deceitful scheming? It's carried it out in craftiness. Folks, there are men either conscientiously or unconscientiously playing the religious game. And I don't know if in my past, and I'm sorry that it was this way, I know what this means, hopefully you know what this means, but this is what the word means. They're playing with loaded dice. In other words, the dice are weighted to their favor. The dice are weighted so they win the game. They get the following. They get you on their side. And they love to play that religious game. And they scheme to do this. They scheme it with clever argument. But it's all deceit. It's all deceit. In Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 18, Paul tells the believers at Rome to watch out for those who teach contrary doctrine. And this is what he says who by sound words and clever speech entice the simple. You hear that? You say, but they sound so right. Exactly. They're so smooth in what they do. Exactly. They're personable. How can somebody who I think is so loving be so wrong? Well, it could be your definition of love. We have an example of this. We won't turn to it. You'll readily remember this in Luke 20, verse 23. The Pharisees were always trying to trip the Lord up, weren't they? And they would get in their little back rooms with their little olive candles and they would scheme up how they could trip him up. And there was a specific time where these words were used and it was this. They came to him and they said this. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You know, you might say, well, that's not, that's not a tricky question. 
Oh, it is. What if he said no? Guess who's coming after him? Rome. Guess if he says yes, guess who's going to be discouraged with him? All the Jews who think they shouldn't be paying taxes. And the Bible says, Jesus knowing their treachery. And don't you love how he answered? Render to Caesar the things that are what? And the things to God, the things that are God. That's deceiving. That is scheming in deceit, playing with loaded dice. He did it again when, it's not the words not used, but when they said, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? That was one of those no-win questions. Folks, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul says that he did not conduct his ministry with these types of treacherous things. He denied it. He didn't go there at all. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, he says to the Corinthians, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that you might be deceived. Like the serpent deceived who? There's your master tricker. Folks, Satan, that serpent, was playing with loaded dice. He had schemed in his fallen wisdom exactly how to take them. How do you avoid all this? You say, I don't want to be that way. Press on to maturity. That's how you avoid this. Having that attitude. Making that your ambition. So that when the storms and the winds come, you won't be driven. You won't be shook permanently. You will, having done all, stand. You'll be like the house that's built on the right foundation, on the rock, on Christ's teachings. And the winds came, and the storms came, and the floods came, and the house what? It stood. Why? It was founded on the rock. Folks, the cure is for every one of us to press on to maturity. If you're not actively pressing on to maturity, then you are on your way back. Because passively, the world is going to make you childish. If you're sitting here and you think, well, I thought being mature was only for the spiritual elite, like pastor and the deacons, Wrong. We all. So if I could just word it this way in application. 
from the eldest of us to the youngest believer. This is our aim. To be mature in Christ. And young people, it starts in your home. It starts by receiving instruction from your, hopefully, mature parents. And coming here and taking what's listening and, and grafting it and listening to the words of warning and listening to those things you should avoid and listening to what, how you need to be taught and listen to how you ought to observe something and listen to how people word things and listen to how mature people pray. Listening all that because that's the example. And make it your ambition because if you don't, you will be deceived. You're placing yourself childish and childish people are liable to deception. So folks, how, do you, how would you evaluate yourself? <clears throat> are you a child? Is it okay to be a child? Yes. Is it okay to stay one? No. You say, well, I'm, I'm 120 and I'm childish. Aren't you glad it's the same instruction? Press on, my brother, at 120. Don't say, can't teach an old dog new tricks. God doesn't know about that. You think God cares about that? And folks, a 15-year-old believer, a 16 and 18-year-old believer can be more, more mature than an 80-year-old believer. Because the aim is to be in your spirit like Christ. How you speak, how you think, and how you reason. And folks, that's one reason why a man named Charles Haddon Spurgeon started pastoring at age 18. Isn't that young? Because there was a maturity about him. Are you a child? Is everything about you and your plans and your activities and your goals? Or are you mature? You're striving and everything about you is about Christ and His church. That's what it's all about. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.